All right, today we're going to be talking about a topic that uh, we demonstrated in the song that we sang, but really we just wanted to do a fun song. Um, but it makes the point of today's topic, and that is a very simple topic that we all understand in various degrees at any point in our lives, and that is the topic of choices. So if you've got your notes, on the back of your bulletin you see some fill-in-the-blanks. That usually means that I'm preaching, and so today uh, you can follow along if you want. It's your choice as we talk about choices today. That's today's topic. Most of us are probably, for the most part, unaware of all of the choices that we make on any given day or any given week. Some of the choices that we make, for example, seem to have very little day-to-day -day impact on our lives. Uh, do I pick the blue shirt or the black shirt? All right. Uh, do I brush my teeth today? All right. Maybe long term that makes some difference, but not, you know, you won't notice a difference maybe today. Uh, whereas some of the choices that we make seem to have a lasting impact, a significant impact in our lives. And we spend a lot of time um, trying to, to be on the right side of those choices. Do we buy a house or do we rent? Do we have another child? Uh, when do I retire? Uh, you can see that, that some choices come with them um, a, a great impact on your life. What if we came face to face with a choice that might not just change our lives, but might have an impact on all of the lives around us, maybe even upon the world in which we live. What if there was a choice you were faced with that might have an impact on changing the world? Those are the kinds of choices we're going to talk about for the next two Sundays, including today. And we're going to do so uh, by looking at the story of the book of Esther. If you've got your Bibles, that's where we'll be today. Uh, the very first of this month, we began our latest uh, semester of Roots Small Groups on Wednesday nights. And uh, this semester, I've had the opportunity to lead a Bible study through the Old Testament book of Esther. So as we look at these choices, we're also going to take a, a bit of a deeper look into the book of Esther in the Old Testament. So today, let's start at the beginning of Esther. Let's start where the book starts. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 of the book of Esther. These events happened in the days of King Xerxes, who reigned over the 120 prov 127 provinces stretching from India to Ethiopia. At that time, Xerxes ruled his empire from his royal throne at the fortress of Susa. So, the book of Esther deals with King Xerxes, who we just saw, who reigns in the Persian Empire, 127 provinces from India to Kush. It's, it's one of the largest empires in, uh, to that point in history. Uh, the story involves the Jewish people, God's people, during this time that Xerxes is reigning in Persia. In chapter 1, 
uh, which we won't read today, but it's, it kind of leads up to what we're talking about today in chapter 2. Um, Xerxes' queen, Queen Vashti, disobeys the, the king in a great show of disrespect, and he banishes her, he deposes her from the land, and that's going to set up what happens in chapter 2. And that's where Esther walks into the story. And so let's take a look then at chapter 2. Let's look at the first 11 verses, and this is where Esther enters the picture. It says, But after Xerxes' anger had subsided, he began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree that he had made. So his personal attendant suggested, Let us search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint agents in every province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at the fortress of Susa. Haggai, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, will see that they are all given beauty treatments. After that, the young woman who most pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. This advice was very appealing to the king, and so he put in that plan into effect. At that time, there was a Jewish man. Here's where God's people enter the story of the book of Esther. Verse 5, At that time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa, whose name was Mordecai, son of Jair. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish and Shimei. His family had been among those who, with King Jehoiakim of Judah, had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. And as a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought into the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids, specially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and family background because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. Every day, Mordecai would take a walk near the courtyard of the harem to find out about Esther and what was happening to her. And if we jump down to verses 16 and 17, it tells us the outcome of this search for a queen. Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. <clears throat> the book of Esther is a story of the people of God, the Jewish people, after their exile, uh, the exile of the kingdom of Judah at the hands of the Babylonians. In other words, the Babylonians came and, and sacked Jerusalem. Uh, Seventy years later, 
after they took away these exiles, after they took away the people of Judah, 70 years later, the Persian Empire exists. And 50 years after that, we have the time of Esther. As we see Esther unfold, we see that there are Jewish people, uh, seems to be a large number of Jewish people, still living in the land of Persia. Um, as the book unfolds, we will see Queen Esther is thrust into the story that's going to determine the fate of those people, her own people, the Jewish people. We'll get to that decision that Esther had to make next Sunday. Interestingly enough, the, the book of Esther is the only book of the Bible that does not specifically mention the name of God. But even though the name of God is absent from this particular story, the book of Esther describes a series of events where the hand of God is very clearly at work to rescue His people from the threat of destruction. The book of Esther is often described as one of the greatest Old Testament examples of the providence and the sovereignty of God. Even though his name's not mentioned, you see the provident hand of God throughout leading circumstances as he desires, and his sovereignty over the kingdoms of man, over the Persian Empire. And that's very true, that that's a lot of what the book of Esther is about, but the book of Esther is also very much a book about choices. We've already seen several, work, uh, several choices at work just in a little bit that we've read from Esther so far. Or the little bit that we know that starts the book off. Think about it. Queen Vashti makes the choice to disobey King Xerxes. This gets the ball rolling. Therefore, King Xerxes must choose what to do with her. They choose when and how they're going to select the next queen. The choice is made to bring Esther in as part of this worldwide you know, pageant search to bring in the next queen of Persia. And King Xerxes chooses Esther over all the other women in all the other provinces of the land to be his queen. Esther and Mordecai, it says, chose to keep Esther's identity a secret. And on and on the list of choices goes, and, and, and there are more choices at hand as the book continues. But, and here's the next line in your notes, it all began with one major choice. If you want to look at where the book of Esther starts, there are so many choices throughout, we're going to say this morning it all began with one major choice. Choice And that choice is actually made long before the events of the book of Esther start. The major choice we're going to look at this morning is one that happened several years before the book of Esther took place. Nonetheless, it had a very important impact on the story of God's people. The Jews, as we said before, are living, during the time of the book of Esther, they're living in uh, a land and under the rule of the Persian Empire. But some 50 
years before the events of the book of Esther, another major choice was made. We're going to talk about it for the rest of the time today. If you've got your Bibles, we'll be in the book of Ezra, not Esther, Ezra. Let's, let's look at chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and send it throughout his kingdom. Here was the proclamation that Cyrus made. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all of the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives in Jerusalem. And may your God be with you. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them of silver and gold, supplies for the journey, and livestock, as well as a voluntary offering for the temple of God in Jerusalem. You see, uh, Xerxes was not the first king of Persia. In fact, his name, first king of the, power, of the Persian Empire who took over uh, and sacked the Babylonians, his name was Cyrus the Great. And in the first year of his reign, Ezra tells us that Cyrus made a major choice. A choice to allow all of the people of God, the Jewish people, to return back to the city of Jerusalem and to their homeland after 70 years of exile at the hands of the Babylonians. Interestingly enough, the book of Isaiah predicts that Cyrus, in fact, will do this. It says, uh, Jeremiah, it's also fulfilling his words. And as we said before about the book of Esther, look in your notes, here's what we're going to say about the Bible as a whole. The Bible is a story of the providence and the sovereignty of God. I give you two big words to spell early in the morning. Um, the Bible is a book of the providence and the story or the, the sovereignty of God. In other words, God puts all of these things into motion. Look at Ezra 1 verse 1, which we just read a minute ago, and notice what God is doing here. In the first year of Cyrus king of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put in this pro proclamation into writing and send it throughout his kingdom. Why did Cyrus, who is, is as wealthy and, and powerful a king as the world has known to this point, why would Cyrus choose to let God's people return to their homeland? Well, it says, because it is God's will for his people to return to their homeland. Therefore, it says, this verse we just read says, he stirred the heart of Cyrus. That God fulfilled scriptures by stirring the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to send this edict out to all the land. As we've said before, and, and we say many times in, in 
especially talking about these kind of books of the Bible, God is sovereign over the kingdoms of man. God's will will be carried out even if he has to use pagan kings from a godless empire to do it. That is clear in the book of Esther and throughout the Bible that God is sovereign and his provident hand will do what his will dictates. However, next line in your notes. However, the Bible is also full of choices. God is sovereign and God is provident and God will do his will. However, the Bible is also full of choices. Look at this same decision in Ezra chapter 1. Look at verse 3. Cyrus is speaking. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel who lives in Jerusalem. And may your God be with you. Let me ask you a question. Did the Jewish people who came from the land of Israel have to go home when Cyrus makes this decree? Did they have to go home? No. No, he says Cyrus allowed for anyone who wanted to make the trip back to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild the temple. In fact, 50 years later, here's why this has bearing on what we're talking about today. 50 years later, when the events of Esther take place, there are still many Jewish people in the fortress of Susa and throughout the provinces of Persia. Esther and Mordecai are just two of those who are there in Susa. Jewish people who honestly did not go home when they were allowed to go home. Next week, uh, as we said before, we're going to look at the choice that Esther eventually makes to save the Jewish people from destruction. But it seems to me that the Jewish people are only there in the land of Persia because... 50 years earlier, they made a choice. They had a choice to make 50 years earlier. And what was that choice? Should I stay or should I go? Do we stay in the land of Persia? Do we stay in the land of the Persian people where we don't own this land, we're not our own people, where we've been if you include the exile and in Babylon before that, we've been away from Jerusalem for 100, 120 years, something like that. Do we stay put? Or do we go back to the land of Israel, the land of our ancestors? Why would the Jews choose to go home? And more than that, maybe the more interesting question, why would the Jews choose to stay in Persia. God had made it clear that it was His will for His people to return back to their home. To return back to Jerusalem. To rebuild the temple of God. To once again establish the kingdom of Israel as God's own kingdom and God's own people. But, the people of Israel had a choice in the matter. To go back home 
or to stay put. Now, this isn't in your notes necessarily, this part, but let me just line out this choice. This choice to stay put or to go to Israel comes down to two decisions as I see it. Uh, it was about two things. Number one, it's the choice to be part of God's community. In choosing to go home, they are choosing to be a part of God's community. Those who left to go back to Israel were making a conscious choice to remove themselves for the land where they had been living, the only land that most of them had ever known, and to purposefully choose to begin a new community who would once again be the people of God on this earth. Think about it. The, the Jews went from being scattered into all parts of the world to God calling them back to once again have their own land, their own city, their own people, the community of God. But number two, the choice to leave was also about the choice to do God's work. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think so many people chose to stay behind in Persia instead of going home to Jerusalem? Because there was great work to be done. In addition to rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, which had been destroyed by the Babylonians nearly 120 years ago, and eventually the, the work in the days of Nehemiah of rebuilding the, te the wall around Jerusalem so that the city would even have some sort of um, security to it, they would most likely have to rebuild the places that they were going to, to live in themselves. You think the temple had been destroyed and the wall of the city had been destroyed, but there was a pretty good little suburb of houses where they could all move into and live? No, they were going to have to start from scratch. They were going to have to start from scratch, not just rebuild the temple, but where are you going to live? There was a good amount of work to be done. On the other hand, those who stayed behind in Persia already had houses to live in. Yeah, I mean, we're under the rule of another people. We don't have our own land and our own people and our own capital, but I don't have to build stuff. I don't have to, to go and, and worry about whether, I'm not, whether or not I'm going to have a place to stay when the first big storm comes. Interestingly enough, these same two choices are part, I believe, of God's will for every believer who comes to, to Christ today. You say, we think, we think the big choice, and it is, the big choice is, do we give our lives over to Christ? Okay? That's the major choice that you've at some point got to come to grips with. Will you live for yourself or will you live for God? Will you live with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? But see, when that decision is made, that's not the end of the choices that we have before us. It seems to me that God gives us the same kinds of choices that the people had in this decision. The choice to be a part of God's community. The church. You know, in the book of Acts, when, when uh, non-believers were converted uh, and became Christians, the next logical step was they became a part of the church. 
Everywhere he evangelized, Paul planted churches in those areas. And it was just natural that they became part of the church. But it would take a choice then and now on part of God's people to be a part of God's community. And also, number two, the choice to do God's work. You think when you came to Christ and when you got baptized and when you repented of your sins that that was it? He's got nothing else for you until He comes back and He'll see you then? No. No, look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 through 38. He said to His disciples, His followers, those who had chosen to follow Him, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask Him to send out more workers into His field. Uh, who's going to be the workers that, that are sent out into that field of the world? The church. You see, when you came to Christ, it wasn't just God's will for you to believe in Jesus' His Son and then go back to living however your life was before and we'll see you at rapture time. Read the book of Acts and look at the pattern of the early church. Those who were, were brought, those who came to Christ made that decision. It changed their lives forever because they became a part of God's community and those two decisions went hand in hand. To become a part of God's community was to become a part of God's work. Let me ask you a very practical church question for all of us sitting in the church building today. Can you be part of God's community without doing God's work? Let me put it in, in terms of Ezra chapter 1. Because if you say that you can be part of the community without doing the work, then it would be much like saying, yeah, I'm going back to Jerusalem, but I'm going to just watch you guys rebuild the temple. And I'll probably just bum a room off of somebody that, that has a nice house. And I'm not going to do any of the work. But yeah, I'll be there with you guys because I am part of this community. You think that would fly with the rest of the people going to Jerusalem? Answer it. Would, would it. would that fly? Would that go well? Then why do we think that we can be a part of the community of God, be a part of the church, and not be a part of the work of the kingdom of God? It doesn't make sense, does it? That we just come, and, and believe me, I know the temptation. We see it every week to see a church this big, 800, 700 people every week, and think, you know, I like it here because I can watch, and, and I know all the, the work's going to be done by everybody else. That, that's not being part of the community. That's watching and saying, you know what? You, you guys are doing a bang-up job on this temple. I'm glad we came over with you. It doesn't work, but, but they, these are choices. And everyone has their own choice to make. And as much as I or Terry would stand up and tell you that you've got to be involved, you've got to be part of the body, well... It's your choice. And we all have a choice to make. Let's recap before we move on and finish today. 
talking about the book of Esther, but bigger than that, we're talking about the Bible as a whole. We've said the Bible is the story of providence and sovereignty of God. God is going to do God's will no matter what, but the Bible is also a book full of choices. Let's think about just a few choices throughout Scripture. I'll present this very clearly throughout different pieces of Scripture. Let's look at some more choices. Look at the, one of the first choices given to man in the garden. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. But the Lord God warned him, Adam, the only him around in those days, you may freely eat from the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now, was this a choice? God doesn't say here's choice A and here's choice B, but was this a choice? You can either eat the fruit or don't eat the fruit? Yeah. This command came with it, the ability to disobey it. Don't eat that fruit. How do we know that it was a choice? Because they chose poorly. Because they made the wrong one. And because God attaches with it a consequence. But if you eat this fruit, you will surely die. Look at Genesis chapter 12. Adam is long gone and Abram is about to become the, the father of God's people. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Look what God says to Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Verse 4, So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. The choice for Abram, go to the land I'm going to show you. Go leave what you've got, and I'll give you a new place. Look at Joshua 24, verses 14 through 15. Moses is gone. Joshua is at the end of his rule of the people. The book of Joshua, he's laid out the law for them, and they are about to take over the promised land for the first time. Notice what Joshua says. So fear the Lord and serve Him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Consider this pattern throughout Scripture. This is in your notes. Some of the last blanks will fill in today. Consider this pattern throughout all Scripture. Step one, God presents His will. God presents His will. 
Think about each of the scriptures, each of the choices we just read. In each case, God's will was clearly presented. Adam knew God's will. God spoke it to him. Don't eat that fruit. Abram knew God's will. God spoke it to him. Leave your home and go to a place I'm going to show you later. The Israelites, through Joshua's command, knew God's will as they entered the promised land. Serve the Lord and worship Him only. But, here's the last line, His people have a choice. Look at that throughout Scripture. God presents, it's a pattern you will see over and over again. God presents His will. He makes it known. Did anybody have to guess or philosophize about what God wanted to do in either of these cases that we saw? No. But, even after the will of God was made known, the people had a choice. The people had a choice as to whether or not to follow the will of God. Think about it in these examples again. Adam knew God's will. In fact, when the serpent confronts Eve, she knows what God had said. Yet, Adam and Eve chose to eat that fruit. Abram knew God's will, and he chose to obey. Don't think Adam was some sort of puppet just being pulled along and he didn't have a choice. Every other pattern of Scripture is there's a choice after God's will is revealed. Abram just made the right choice. The Israelites in the days of Joshua knew through Joshua what the choice was. Worship God or choose somebody else. Some, like Joshua, decided, me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. And others, in fact, eventually most of them and the people in the, in the nation of Israel chose poorly. The, the choice is, is ours today just like it was theirs back then. Think about choice after choice that we didn't read about today. God didn't want His people in the book of Kings to have a king. God didn't want His people to have a king like everybody else did. He wanted to lead them. But guess what? Israel got a king. Why? Because it was their choice. God had promised that Israel would be blessed for all, all generations if they followed Him. And Israel two times was sieged the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and all the people were carted off that weren't killed. Why? Because they had a choice. I'm going to ask Chad and the band to come out as we get ready for our invitation time this morning. And I want to make it clear to you today. This pattern is the very same for our lives 
today. Does God's word change? It's the same. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the choice is still the same for you. God makes His will known for your life. Now you may say, you know, who knows what God's will is? But through the Bible and through the Holy Spirit, you can know the will of God. Let me say it again. Through the Bible and through the Holy Spirit, you can know the will of God. The question is, what do you choose? See, His will throughout Scripture is very clear. What is God's will for all people? We can have salvation through Jesus Christ. What is His will? We can have repentance. If we repent and come to Him in baptism, we can have forgiveness of sins. We can have the Holy Spirit of God. We can have eternal life. We can be a part of the community of God. The church, the body of Christ that goes out then and does the work of God in this world. To be faithful, to bring more into that body until Jesus comes back. His will is clear. But you have a choice. The choice is yours. That's what we do every week when we stand up. It's not just a leg stretching break. It's the choice. When we, when we lay out an invitation, it's your choice to respond to what's God, what God is doing in your life or not. It doesn't mean coming up front and, and voicing a decision. It means if He's speaking, are you listening? And if His will is presented, what will you choose? That's the invitation as we stand today.